Finish this phrase for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words... You're familiar with that expression, right? The point is that sticks and stones can hurt, cause pain, leave a mark. But words, words don't hurt, do they? Or do they? This week, my wife Laura and I celebrated our 18th, or 18th, (laughs) 38th. I guess 18th was a good year. <laughs> They're all good years. <laughs> we celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary, and it's occasions like that that sometimes I'll kind of think back to some of those earlier times. And speaking of words, maybe I didn't always speak the best words. I thought it was a compliment when I said one night after a meal she fixed, it tasted better than it looked. but I learned those aren't words to say. (laughs) Ouch. Words can hurt sometimes. Some of you are familiar with the confirmation process that we have in the Lutheran Church where at times the confirmation class stands before the congregation and the pastor asks questions based upon what you've learned in your catechism instruction. I'm thankful to say that I didn't have to experience that that way, but maybe some of you did. My wife shares the story that for her confirmation questioning, there were two students in the class, her and one other, and her father was the pastor. He questioned them before the congregation for 45 minutes. And I am proud to say that my wife missed only one question. She shares, though, that after that worship service, there were people that came up to her and congratulated her on how well she did. And then her father reminded them, but she missed a question. Ouch. Words can hurt sometimes, can't they? Sticks and stones may break my bones. And yeah, words can hurt sometimes. I have to believe that the Samaritan woman in today's gospel reading knew that all too well. To better understand the story, it's important to realize that the Samaritan woman grew up in a time and day where she was discriminated against because of her ethnicity. By no choice of her own, she was born a Samaritan. But in that day and time, that was the wrong people group to be a part of. Why? Because Jews hated Samaritans. To tell you how bad that was, if a Jewish person was walking down the road on a sunny day and a Samaritan person was walking down that same road, and their shadows crossed. They didn't even touch each other, but if their shadows crossed, the Jewish person would consider themselves unclean. That's how bad it was between them. And here's why. In the Old Testament, we learned that there was a war between a group of people that were known as the Assyrians and a group of people that were from northern Israel. 
Now the Assyrians won that war, but they captured the people from Israel and brought them back into their community. Naturally, they intermarried, and the offspring of that intermarriage were called Samaritans. So ever since then, Samaritans were considered second-rate as far as the Jewish people were concerned. And if that's not bad enough, to add insult to injury, the worst, what was worse in that day and time than being a Samaritan was being a Samaritan woman. Now let me just pause here for a moment and recognize that probably what I've said in the last minute and a half or so probably sounds also politically incorrect. But hang on. I'm just trying to paint a picture that will characterize why this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman was so significant that day. You see, we have reason to believe. In fact, the the text tells us that the Samaritan woman came to the well that day at high noon. She came at the heat of the day. She came at a time of the day that nobody else would come. Nobody comes to draw water at noon at the heat of the day. She came there at that time because she didn't want to see anybody. She didn't want to see any Jews. She didn't want to see any other Samaritans. She didn't want to see anybody because, quite frankly, so often all they do is stare at her, whisper behind her back, make judgmental comments about her, and she got to the point where she was just tired of it. She's tired of the names that she hears them speak under their breath. And while she knows that part of it is because of where she came from and the the background that she had, part of it is also because of the lifestyle choices that she has made. But regardless of the reason, no one likes to hear bad things said about them. Maybe it's because of her background and how she grew up that she ended up looking for love in all the wrong places. I say that because we read here that she was married five times. Five times, some guy said, I do, but then none of them did. Five times, she thought she had found Mr. Right, but they all turned out to be Mr. Wrong. Yeah, sure, she had a reputation. And whether the words spoken to her were spoken to her face or behind her back, nevertheless, she knew that words can hurt. They can hurt a lot. So imagine her surprise that day when she's at the well, wanting not to see anybody, but who shows up? A man, a Jewish man. And if that isn't bad enough, she tries to do everything she can to avoid talking with him, but but he starts talking to her. Will you give me a drink, he asks. She can hardly believe her ears at that point. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. They don't talk to each other, and they certainly don't drink from the same cup with one another. But Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Now, when Jesus said that to this woman, it's hard to know what was more surprising to her, the fact that he was talking to her in the first place, or that in talking to her, he didn't shame her. He didn't insult her. He didn't criticize her. He didn't attack what little dignity she had left in life. Either way, she was completely caught off guard by this and 
So she said, the natural. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How do you get this living water? And with those words, Jesus knew that he had gotten her attention. So he points to the well and says, anyone who drinks from here will be thirsty again, but anyone who drinks from what I give will never thirst. Now, obviously, Jesus is using that well, and he's using that water as kind of an illustration or a metaphor for something more that he wants to say to her. And at this point, if she keeps going to the same place in life to satisfy what she's missing, she's going to just keep coming up empty. And apparently, that's been the problem in her life. She keeps looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. And so at that moment, being somewhat hopeful that, that maybe there could be something more satisfying in her life, she says to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to the well to draw water. And with those words, Jesus knew that he had her attention, and so he says to her, Go, call your husband and come back. Ouch. I thought he wasn't there to criticize her. Well, he wasn't. But what Jesus was doing there in, with those words is demonstrating something that many of us learned in our catechism instruction, and, and that is what the purpose of God's law is. Do you remember from your instruction what the purpose of God's law is? God's law acts in three different ways, as a curb, as a rule, or a mirror. Do you remember how the law of God acts as a mirror in life? Well, to illustrate that, when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, what do you see? My guess is that when you look in the mirror, your first comment is probably not, you're adorable. <laughs> you couldn't look any better than this if you tried. That's probably not our first reaction. It's probably more like, I could use some help here. Likewise, God's law acts as a mirror as it shows us our sin. And as uncomfortable as that is, when we come face to face with our sin, when we confess our sin, when we acknowledge our sin, then we're in the best position to receive what God wants to give to us. And that's all Jesus was doing when he asked her to go call her husband. Jesus simply wanted her to acknowledge, wanted her to recognize, wanted her to, to see, to admit what wasn't working in her life so he could point her to what does work. And with that, the next thing Jesus says to her is, God is spirit, and his worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And the truth that God wants her to know is that contrary to what she's experienced in her life, God's love for her is without condition. The truth that Jesus wanted her to know is that no matter what anybody else has said about her, he won't reject her. The truth that Jesus wanted her to know is that her past mistakes do not define her present life. The truth Jesus wanted her to know is that he wasn't there that day to criticize her, but to show her compassion. And when Jesus showed her compassion, 
It wasn't a momentary transactional gesture. It was absolutely transformational. And I say that because of the latter half of what we heard read in our gospel reading this morning. Remember, as we were introduced to the Samaritan woman at the beginning of chapter 4, we're ta- we, we, we learned there that she came to the well at a time of the day to avoid everybody. But after Jesus showed her this act of compassion, she went off and told others. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony and because of her words, many more became believers. Because of her words, words that transformed her life and transformed the lives of others. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard of for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That's transformational. Here this woman came to the well that day trying to avoid contact with everybody else. But here she ends up talking to some of the very people about Jesus who she earlier tried to avoid. All because of the compassion of Jesus that changed her life. And that same compassion changes your life and mine. Jesus' encounter with us is not a mere transaction that that we experience for an hour on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night in worship. But instead, Jesus comes here to offer you so much more. He offers his whole life for you. He offers you love and acceptance without condition. Jesus offers you and me forgiveness for the mess we make out of things in life at times. Jesus ultimately offers you heaven. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he is alive, he also offers that he's living and present right here, right now in your life today. With the forgiveness and acceptance of Jesus, our past mistakes do not define our present reality. And all of that is transformational for us. I want to leave you with a question to consider today or sometime this week. When you think about the kind of compassion that Jesus showed the Samaritan woman, or when you think about the kind of compassion that Jesus shows you through the death and resurrection of his own life for you, who is it in your life who you can show compassion to? Maybe it's somebody you already have a relationship with, but that relationship isn't going so well. Or maybe it's somebody you've never met before, but the Lord puts in your life at some point. Who can you show? Not judgment, not criticism, not condemnation, but compassion. Because whoever that may be, that just may be an opportunity for you to connect Jesus to that person and to do it with compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.